This is Chad Brashears, and you're listening to Never In My Wildest Dream podcast. This podcast is about creating a behind-the-scenes look with coaches, fans, and reporters from our point of view, sharing cool stories as only we've lived them. The goal is for you to learn something new to help your life and allow yourself to take a break from everyday chaos and let us give you a behind-the-scenes look into our world. Never In My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in... Good morning and welcome to Never My Wildest Dream podcast. Look forward to talking to you guys here today on January the 21st, 2021, 21st day of the new year. We'll hit sports real quick. Mentioned yesterday in men's basketball at the collegiate level that Georgia Tech would beat Clemson. Georgia Tech did beat Clemson 83 to 65. In tonight's games, Indiana travels to Iowa and UCLA travels to Cal in the top 25 matchups. In the NFL, weather is starting to become a factor in Green Bay. Reports are showing that the weather will not get above 30 degrees the entire weekend. Saturday, the highest 22, Sunday the highest 29, snow 1 to 3 inches both days and snow during Sunday's game. Looking forward to seeing how that affects the game with regards to home field advantage as Aaron would like to call it. Patrick Mahomes did practice, but it was at a limited capacity on Wednesday. He is still in the protocol. Not sure when he's going to get out of it, but Andy Reid said he's done really well up to this point. He had limited work with no contact, and honestly, that fit into a normal Wednesday practice from the way that it looks like out in Kansas City. In MMA news, UFC 257 will be on Fight Island this Saturday. The marquee fight will be at 10 p.m. That will be Dustin Poirier going against Conor McGregor. I'm a big Conor fan, so I'm looking forward to this. That's all in today's news. We will come back with thinking on Thursday segment before we get into our guest today here on Never My Wildest Dreams podcast. Never in My Wildest Dreams podcast begins in three, two, one. Welcome back to Never My Wildest Dream podcast. Thinking on Thursday segment. Didn't really know what I was going to talk about today, but on the way into uh, the office today, I realized that we had some life altering news here in the state of Maryland and It's pretty crazy when you think about it, but the ticket for the Powerball was sold in Lonoconi, Maryland, which is in Allegheny County, and it was sold for $731 million. According to the mayor in Lonoconi, there was a local couple that bought the ticket and won. They're the only ones that will take the money and win with that money. Um, They have an opportunity to take $731 million, paid over 30 payments over the next 29 years, or one lump sum after taxes which is $546.8 million. In this same lottery, $2 million was won in Hagerstown on one ticket. Where I'm going with all this, um, I'm not a lottery player. I don't put money in the lottery and, you know, waste it away. I I worry, like, I'm just going to throw money away. But obviously for these people, I don't know how many lottery tickets they bought, but I can tell you they probably haven't spent $546 million in cash to get the number that they're getting back. But it made me think of a story with John Calipari a couple years ago. And he invited his players over for dinner one night. He took $2 from all of them. He ended up giving it back because of NCAA rules. But he was doing a little game with them to get them to understand where they were in life. He took $2, put it in the kitty. He was going to go buy lottery tickets with that money if they were able to win. At that point, it was $1.3 billion. Everybody would get $100 million. Here's the problem. There's 328 million people in the United States of America. It's a 292 million to one chance of winning the lottery. Those that couple in Lonoconi was a 292 million to one chance of getting it. So every two dollars you spend, your ticket's not going to win. It's just not going to win. But where you can win and where you have far better odds is the talent between your ears, because you are your own lottery ticket. So many times we look to others to get a pay raise or to put us on a pedestal so that we can get to the next level. What I'm trying to get at is this. We have a Powerball ticket within us. We need to fight. We need to battle. We need to think that we're worth $100 million and not be afraid of anything because honestly, at the end of the day, we truly have nothing to lose. We just need to go after it. This is my Thinking on Thursday segment. I'm looking forward to having Chad Dickman the head men's basketball coach at Hood College back here with us when we return. Never in my wildest dreams podcast begins in three, two, one.
to Never in My Wildest Dream podcast. Really excited to talk to my next guest. It's Coach Chad Dickman. Chad's a 1998 graduate of Thomas Johnson, where he was a state champion. He played his college ball at St. Vincent, where he went on to score more than 1,200 career points. He did a grad um, job at IUP, and while he was doing that, he was a part-time coach with D.P. Harris back at St. Vincent, his alma mater. He was fortunate enough, after he graduated with his master's, he went to Wheeling Jesuit to become the head assistant coach at the Division II level. They're a really good school at the D2 level. He was there from 2004 to 2013. In 2013, he made the jump back to Frederick to work at Hood as an assistant with his father. And in 2015, was named the head men's basketball coach at Hood, and he's had that position ever since. Coach, welcome to the show. I appreciate it, Chad. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, not a problem at all. So what is it looking like down in Frederick for you guys with regards to the season there in Hood? How, how are things kind of playing out with COVID? Uh, not good. Uh, we, uh, we recently opted out of the season uh, this upcoming year. Um, our conference just kept delaying a conference decision and kind of pushing it back and pushing it back. Um, and so last I guess it's probably about a week, maybe two weeks ago. Um, they decided they were probably going to go ahead and, and push forward and, and try to have a, um, uh, a very shortened season. And we weren't going to play enough games to have an NCAA tournament bid if the NCAA Division Three tournament even happens. Um, and so, you know, with all the factors involved, most of the conferences, or most of the schools in our conference are in Pennsylvania. Okay. And us and Stevenson are the only two in Maryland. Um, and there's some travel restrictions from PA to Maryland anywhere, anyway. And, um, there's just so many moving pieces and, you know, just with, with every, with all the data that we had and all the risks slash, uh, rewards, uh, ratios that we were looking at, it just made more sense to err on the side of caution and just kind of opt out of the season. So, um, obviously disappointing, um, for us, I mean, everyone obviously wanted to play. Um, you know, I, I feel worse for our guys just having a, a year um, that we, you know, you put in a lot of work, and then you know, this this fall, you're you're kind of putting the work in as well, kind of wondering what's going to happen. And uh, when you get the worst news, uh, you know, it's always a kind of a punch in the gut. But um, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's something we got to deal with, and just kind of find the silver lining in it. Uh, and just try to move forward and, and get better with what we can do at this point. Now, you're coming off a really good season last year, right? Didn't you guys go like 17-11? Yeah, we were 17-11, uh, probably better than that. Um, one of the, we usually win a lot of close games last year. Pretty much um, we were losing most of the close games. and um, So I thought, you know, I, I thought we were actually better than 17-11, but at the end of the day, you are what your record is. So, um you know, our, our goal this year was going to be to uh, really work on that mental toughness of playing every single possession like it's uh, like it's game point and you need to stop because, you know, whether it's 15 minutes left in the first half or 10 seconds left in the game, you know, every single possession uh, is of equal importance. And so I think that was something we, we really were going to try to emphasize this year because, you know, when it's all said and done, uh, there's a ton of games decided by a couple possessions and you know how you play your seventh possession how you play your 70th um you know uh it's gonna all gonna weigh the same on the outcome of the game so um yeah we 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 were good we're looking forward to um you know having another strong season this year um but i know we talked about it earlier the great thing is that uh no one in college basketball this year is using a season eligibility so you know we're not playing so our guys obviously don't use a season but um even the teams that do play from division one to division three the ncaa issued a blanket waiver so no college players will use the season eligibility this year so um you know not all the seniors will come back especially uh you know at our level when there's a financial uh, burden and, uh, you know, at a, at a lot of guys at the division two level as well. Um, and we only had two seniors. So we had twins, twins that uh, were all conference players and the plan is for them to come back next year and, uh, you know, play their, their final year. Is that Mason and Evan, the Wang, the Wang twins? Yep. Those, yep, guys, Wang. those guys are solid players, man. They're really, really good. Um, I enjoyed watching them play. I know you guys averaged almost 82 points a game last year. Is that is that right? 
Yeah, it sounds about right. We're what, up there. What's your mantra? Uh, you have this little hashtag. I'm on I'm also all social media. I'm not on Instagram, not on Snapchat, not on Twitter, not on Facebook, not on any of that stuff. But I remember when I was on there, it was like let her fly or let it fly or something like that. Yeah, let it fly. Let it fly. Let it fly. Our, our hashtag. And, um, but yeah, I mean, we we really focus on spreading the floor out as much as possible, um, and and putting five shooters on the floor. So you know, we we really want the lane to be open at all times. Um, you know, so we can get those slip slips. We can get the penetration all the way to the rim. So we can get the backdoor cuts, curls, and, and whatnot. And you know, when you have five shooters on the floor, you can just do so many more things on offense. Um, so we're tough to guard. I mean, we, we are really tough to guard. And uh, I think that, you know, the, our our offensive efficiency is, is you know, uh, up towards the top in the country and our points per game. I think we're the highest one, number one or two in the entire region in points per game. Um, but, yeah, we, we shoot a ton of threes. That's uh, kind of it's kind of uh, what we're known for. The thing that's most amazing, though, Chad, is when I look at how many threes you made to how many you attempted. I mean, as a team – you shot 35% from behind the arc as a team. You hit 307 threes and 870 attempts. That's pretty That's pretty good. What does a practice look like for you? How many times are you guys getting shots up in practice to be able to stay at that level consistently? Uh, we, we shoot a lot, probably more than, I would say we probably shoot more than 90% of teams in practice. Um, you know, we really stress with the guys, you know, you're not going to become a great shooter uh, in practice. We don't, we don't have enough time to set aside the amount of time it's going to take for you to become a great shooter in practice. That's something you got to get done on your own. Um, you know, we have two shooting machines here. Uh, so, that, you know, our guys have a, a great amount of flexibility and availability to our uh, facilities here at Hood. And, you know, it, it's kind of on their shoulders to get down on your own time and get on these guns and, and, and get 500 threes off between classes, you know, get get a thousand shots off uh, in these next couple of days. Um, but, you know, with that said, you know, a lot of the times when you're on the gun, a lot of it is just kind of like standstill shots, mm-hmm. um, which happen occasionally. But, um, you know, most most open threes um I think, in my opinion, are in transition of some sort, whether right away or secondary. Um, so we do a lot in practice, which is kind of, uh, you know, doing some sprints down down the court and into your shot. Um, you know, something a little more game like. And so, you know, I, I don't know how many how many shots each. I, if I had to guess, I would I would probably say that the average guy in one of our practices takes about two hundred to two hundred and fifty threes in a practice. I would I would have loved to play for you, especially as much as I like to shoot the ball. That would have been a lot of fun. Um, you know, we made you a thousand point scorer, Chad. You know that that would have been a lot. That would have been pretty cool. I uh, I did I did enjoy following you guys. I mean, just from the standpoint that you and I are friends, and and I like to see your success, and I try to follow it. You know, and text you when I can. That you know about games and wins and stuff like that. But you had Michael Riley, who was from Washington County, Williamsport High School. Michael went down and had an unbelievable career for you. He uh, Michael became a really good basketball player. It was really cool to see his stats as he went from season to season. Yeah, I mean, Mike was kind of like the prototypical um, wing that we look for. I mean, he was six three. Uh, just naturally gifted shooter. I mean, uh, he was a kid just like beautiful stroke, uh, could get it off pretty quickly. Um, and, you know, had a, had a really good career down here, scored a thousand points, um, uh, really good rebounder. Um, you know, we, we play a lot of zone and, you know, he was probably a better, uh, fit for that, uh, than he may, may have been for man defense, but, um, we put him on the back line of the zone and he just covers ground. He's a good defender. He plays hard and, um, he probably averaged about five rebounds a game over his career as well. So yeah, we were, we were happy about that. Unfortunately, uh, he graduated last year. Uh, we're not going to have him back, but, uh, we'll, uh, we'll try to move on. The game that stands out the most to me, because this is when I still had social media, I was following it. He went 11 of 17 from three against St. Mary's of Maryland for 42 points that night. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he saved us that game. Um, I think he had 20 points in the first five minutes of that game. Um, oh, wow. They, uh, 
St. Mary's is, is long. Uh, they got a 6'11 kid in the middle, and they play like a extended 2-3 matchup. Um, and so we were, we were going to have to make shots. And, and um, we were kind of at an, we had kind of an off shooting that night, except for him. And so, yeah, I mean, he hit 11 threes or whatever it was, and we won that game. Um, it was a close game. And, and if he doesn't come out, you know, lights out like that, we probably do not win that game. Do you, you know, I get this a lot, and I coach a lot differently than what I played in high school and, and played in college. Um, you know, playing for Coach Robertson, we kind of ran the flex, and it was take the air out of the basketball, and we were going to grind the game down to get wins, especially in the Catholic League being not as athletic as the teams that we played against. When I went to Shenandoah University, I was pretty much a spot-up shooter the entire time. We had really good guard play, but it was more go get my own, kick out at the last second. Does the offense that you run at Hood, is that something you wish you would have had when you played, or did you learn that from the guys you played with and kind of molded it into your own? Um, no, I never played under any system like this. Um, high school, I played for my dad, and uh, speaking of the flex, uh, he is a flex disciple, and <laughs> he used to flex teams to death. So um, uh, I knew the flex inside and out. Um, in college, we ran... Uh, a little bit different stuff. We we always had a good, pretty good big man in college, and we did a lot of high-low action, stuff like that. Um, when I was at Wheeling Jesuit, um, we there was a team in our, in our league, um, Alderson Broadus, who was really well coached, and uh, they ran a five-out offense, um, and they just kind of kept all their guys outside the three-point line and just did a lot of kind of like re- ball reversals, go screen away, make the reads, uh, and they cut hard as hell, um, and they were really hard to guard. And so, you know, from watching them, and there's another team in our conference, uh, West Liberty, who is traditionally the highest scoring team in the country out of all levels. That 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 plays somewhat um, rationally and doesn't just go out there and try to set scoring records. But um, they do some, something similar, just kind of a. They're not as structured. They're just a five-out motion team, uh, and they just make the reads themselves. Um, but, you know, just seeing how hard those teams were to guard kind of showed me that, you know, in, in the college game, uh, especially with scouting as good as it is nowadays with all the video self- software, it's hard to run set plays mm-hmm. uh, that the opponent doesn't expect. Um, so, you know, uh, we really wanted to uh, – when I was at Will and Judge, you know, thankfully I had two head. Uh, I worked under two head coaches that were very receptive to my ideas and, and whatnot, and so we started going five out, probably in a, maybe about 2008, 2010 at Wheeling Jesuit, and we had a lot of success. We were undersized, but all of our guys could shoot it. All of them could handle it, and so from there, I, I was pretty much set on five out as a half court offense. Um, uh, especially with you know this past decade, how the game has changed. Um, you know, traditional post players are almost non-existent, um, uh, with the exception of a, a handful of teams. Um, and really, you really don't see too much three out, two in anymore. No. Uh, so you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of matched up to how the games and the analytics have uh, really evolved in the past decade. So. You know, from a half court standpoint, we, we we do a lot of stuff just based on uh, spreading the court and spacing. Um, you know, we it's uh, we do some stuff that I've never seen other teams do. Honestly, um, it's just when you have five guys that can shoot, it just opens up a lot of different possibilities. And so, you know, we do some stuff that is just different, and it's just kind of us tinkering with different types of things and kind of thinking out of the box, playing out of the box. Um, and obviously when you're doing stuff like that, it's it's tough for an opponent that has never seen anything like that or has never at least guarded anything like that with any regularity. Um, so, you know, we do a lot of just kind of uh, different things like that. We do a lot of ball screen actions, uh, a lot of empty, empty side ball screens, uh, you know, a lot of like pick and pops, a lot of ghost screening, a lot of flare screening. Just a, a ton of movement. We just never stand. Um, so that's that's kind of a long-winded answer of how we got 
to, to that style of play. And in transition, we, we literally just uh, – our guys just stick to the sidelines, get to the sidelines, uh, kick the ball up on the sideline, and just attack the middle over and over. That's, that's literally all we do. We try to catch – someone ball watching we try to catch someone helping out a little bit too much um you know we just got a lot of types of different types of actions where as soon as our guys pick up on the reads to make and um you know when to do what um it, it's really a pretty smooth little offense that you know we're getting a lot of open shots on so you know to answer your initial question i, I would have loved to play an offense like this uh and i think a lot of guys especially the types of guys we recruit um are really um you know excited about playing in that type of style so it's worked for us you know the downside is you know you're, you're going to have some mismatches defensively and so we, we we try to get over the hump on defense and do some things that help us out but bottom line is you're not going to get a bunch of six seven uh shooters that are good passers and rebounders and great defenders uh, at our level unfortunately you know i you kind of led me into one of the questions i was going to ask off of that was how is recruitment towards this and and how do guys that when you go to recruit and start talking about your style of player you send them you know a link to watch a game on live feed now that is available at most of the division three games um how does that increase guys that are like, oh, man, I really want to go play for this? Do you get a lot of that type stuff? Um, yeah, we get a lot of just random kids reaching out. Uh, I don't know if they just hear about us on social media or they're looking at stats or whatever. Um, and all of our games are live streamed on the website. They have been for a while. Yeah. Um, we've actually upgraded the last couple of years. We have two uh, uh, big-time announcers with a cult-like following. It's my, uh, my father and his uh, uh, good buddy, Tim Abercrombie, big Tim Abercrombie. So um, those two announce our games, and uh, I've heard one broadcast, and that's it. Uh, and, and they have a good time up there. So, um, so you know, it's, it's a good little uh, chance for anyone to kind of see how we play, um, for recruits to kind of see the types of things we do. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when we're recruiting, we – one of the first things we look at is can the kids shoot, um, especially when we're looking at like forwards, like defensively. Yeah. You, you want a six, eight shot blocker. Like we play a lot of two, three zone. Sure. We'd love to put a six, eight athletic kid in the middle, but if that kid is a really good shooter, we're not going to get him. He's going to go to Maryland or, you know, wherever else. Um, so, you know, we're undersized. So we'll take the six, five shooter that, that, you know, the, the bigger schools say was well, too small. Um, but the bottom line is if we take a six, eight shot blocker that can't shoot, that kind of defeats most of the purpose of our offense, which is to keep the lane open because any smart team is just going to plant their five man right in front of the rim and contest every layup or backdoor cut or whatever that we, that we have. And, and that's possible when you got a guy out there that can't shoot the ball. So, um, First thing we look for is guys that can that can shoot the ball. Uh, we're really big on basketball IQ, just having a good feel for making the right play, um, not trying to do too much, not a not a walking turnover, um, just kind of skill guys, shoot, pass, and handle it. Um, don't have to be the most athletic. Uh, the bigger, the better, uh, especially since we play so much zone. Um, and then we talk a lot to high school coaches and AAU coaches and, and assistant coaches. Anything we can find out about guys that we're looking at is helpful to us because, uh, you know, at the end of the day, everyone's always if, talking about politics, this and that. High school coach doesn't play him because he wants to play. But at the end of the day, the high school coach and me are probably going to have a very similar um, opinion of a kid. Um, so if a high school coach really speaks highly of a kid, uh, that kind of seals the deal for us. If he doesn't, or if he's kind of searching for good things to say, um, writing's kind of on the wall there and, yep. and we move on from that kid. So, um, so yeah, that's kind of how our recruiting, uh, process works. And obviously, uh, as you know, at the division three level, there, there's just so many kids you have to look at. I mean, the net you have to cast is ridiculous. So, you know, the recruiting aspect takes up, honestly, probably 75% of the time 
uh, of a college basketball coach, honestly, oh, at absolutely. this level at least. Well, yeah, I mean, and I know, like, I mean, I lived out of rental cars and fast food joints. I've had a, you know, talk to a couple other coaches here on the show, and when you go south, you're getting cookout. When you go, you know, north, you're getting wawa. I mean, it, you kind of pick out your idea where you're going to go, and you already know what dinner is going to look like before you even get to that spot. No, and, no doubt. Um, you know, and honestly, you know, I look back and some of my greatest times and, you know, you and I were able to meet and I knew who you were. I watched you play in the St. James tournament when I was a little bit younger and, you know, you guys went down there and battled and I, and I thought you guys were an unbelievable team at that time, which actually you were, but, you know, I got to know you through recruiting and meeting up on the road and that type stuff. And, and actually I look forward to seeing you guys when I got on the road too. It just kind of broke up the, uh, I'm not going to say monotony cause that sounds like it's bad, but when you're watching basketball games from eight o'clock in the morning to nine o'clock at night at Reading at Hoop Group, like you need some monotony breakup there, there in between a little bit. So, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, you know, I'm sure Hoop Group. I know they've moved. Whether at East Strasburg now or something like that, I read. I believe they are. Yeah. <clears throat> it would be impossible to do what we did at Hoop Group through like these links now. Like, it was almost impossible to do it there because the jerseys never match the book numbers a lot of times. So I can't imagine doing it through a computer screen, to be honest with you. It's um, it's tough. It is. It's very different. Um, you know, the feeds aren't always clear. You can't really see numbers sometimes. Um, it's just it's been a very weird year for recruiting. Um, luckily, we did a ton of work early on since COVID hit. Um, you know, I, I kind of had the foresight that I was like, this is serious. I mean, there's a chance that we may not play next season. I, I think I, I was thinking that way before a lot of other people were. And so I got with my assistant. I said, you know, I don't know if we're going to have AAU this spring and summer. Um, so let's, you know, get on this 2021 class ASAP um, and really try to watch as much film as we can on all the guys that, you know, we've gotten our initial uh, recruiting system so uh most of our COVID was spent especially in the spring um just kind of watching highlight films watching Mm -hmm. some game films and and trying to establish a top you know 75 uh type of uh recruit list um and that way you know when the when the AU tournaments did start happening a little bit in I think it was like August maybe Mm -hmm. um we were in pretty good shape and we were just kind of going to see the guys that were tops on our list to make sure that, that, um, you know, we, we, we weren't mistaken on anything. Um, so that, that was, that was extremely helpful, um, to kind of, you know, take, take charge of that early on. And the other good thing was, uh, Hood College allowed this spring one family on campus at a time, uh, for, oh, nice. for visits. Nice. So we had about 40 families throughout the spring come to visit. All those guys that we thought were top, top, t- uh, top tier recruits, um, we tried to get as many as we could on campus. So we had about 40 kids come in the spring and summer on visits. Um, and you know, I know some some schools weren't allowed to do that. So um, you know, we we were really proactive with everything. So I think that's that's what really helped us out. And uh, you know, our 2021 class so far, we got four commitments and four really solid players, and we're trying to get. You know, probably one or two more, um, but we're we're in a good spot compared to I think a lot of uh, other teams that may have, um, you know, maybe waited a little too long to really, um, you know, be proactive with everything. It's a, uh, you know, I, we talk a little bit about like obviously your dad and uh, Tim Abercrombie on the air for your games and stuff. What was it like coming home? I mean, your dad's kind of a really well-known guy, and we're going to get into that a little bit later, but your dad's a well-known guy in the basketball world in Frederick. You grew up in the basketball world in Frederick. You were fortunate enough to go away, you know, up at St. Vincent and play, be up around Pittsburgh area, and then you went to Wheeling Jesuit. What's it been like coming back to Frederick and and, and kind of planting your roots a little bit in the basketball world now? Um, It's been really good. Um, You know, I grew up here left here after high school and Frederick was very different. Um, wasn't nearly as big, wasn't as much going on. Um, and you know, when I was but in 2013, when I was a really Jesuit, I'd been there nine years and I was kind of getting antsy. 
um, you know, ready to, to, you know, I was, I was head assistant there, associate head coach, whatever you want to call it. So I was going on a couple uh, head coaching interviews at some division uh, two schools. Um, and then the president at the time at Hood, uh, Ron Volpe, um, had been telling my dad, you know, when, I know you're not going to be coaching too much longer, um, but when you retire, I'd really like your son to take over for you. Because uh, I had met him many times and we had a good relationship. And so it kind of all worked out. I came down, was his assistant for two years. Um, one of the big reasons I moved back was uh, Frederick was such a nice area. It turned into this really kind of like hip, younger uh, area with a lot more stuff going on. Um, so, you know, uh, that was just kind of a nice little homecoming from that end of things. Um, and then, yeah, so I had two, two years under my dad as, the, as his assistant. We had two good years here. Uh, and then in 2015, he ended up stepping down, and uh, I took over as head coach kind of, uh, you know, uh, per the plan, uh, so to speak. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, – it's worked out well, man. I think we coached against you guys when I was at Shenandoah that, that one year you came back. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. I don't know if it was the 15th, the 13, 14 year. I think we did coach against you guys in our tip off tournament. I think that was my first ever game coaching at Hood College. Gotcha. Uh, just, yeah, we gotcha. went down there and played two games. I don't remember who it was against, but yeah, it was at Shenandoah, and you guys packed the gym for that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was a good little tournament. That little band box that we had? Oh, uh, it was loud. <laughs> it was loud. I mean, you speaking of gyms, you guys got an unbelievable facility down there in the BB&T Center. I mean, that, that, that arena is awesome. Yeah, yeah, we're really fortunate. Um, I always tell people, when we get recruits on campus, uh, they're, they're, they always leave um, much more impressed than they they probably felt they would be they're always surprised at how nice everything is and and all the resources that our guys have because we we really go out of our way to um fundraise and when i say fundraise uh fundraise in a sense um you know we have some high school shootouts we play uh, a few division one teams a year that, that that write us a nice little check um so we use that to kind of uh, you know get our guys all the resources that we may not be able to provide for them in the typical budget. So, um, you know, I think when, when get, recruits get on campus and they see uh, all the stuff that we get for our guys and also they have access to, um, it's a big selling point for sure. Um, and, yeah, like you said, the facilities uh, are top-notch. I mean, you know, it's everything everything that we have here uh, is kind of a perfect fit for, for the school and what we're trying to do. So I'm going to pick on you real quick. You got the head coaching job, but you're also the head golf coach, aren't you? I am, yes. And and how how is it to be the head golf coach at the D3 level? Do you go out and golf with the guys? Do you go out and teach them a little bit? or how, what, what goes into that job? Uh, very different than basketball. I'm uh, sure. <laughs> and no, I, I would never golf with my golf team because I don't want them to know that I'm much, much worse than them. Uh, <laughs> So as long as I, as long as I can go with them thinking I'm a really good golfer, I'll, I'll continue to do that. But uh, golf is very different. We we recruit on uh, with golf. We recruit mostly online. Like, okay, yeah, uh, it's not like there's a golf AU tournament where you go and watch all these kids at the driving range. You know, like you can go to tournaments, but it's it's pretty tough to to, to watch multiple golfers at a tournament. So um, we just kind of do. Uh, I, I talk to a lot of. Uh, coaches in the surrounding counties and just kind of get a feel for if they have any players that are interested in playing in college. And then from from there, um, you know, and I'll look at like local scores, mm-hmm. um, but it's mostly just kind of uh, reaching out through email and texts and finding out, you know, who wants to play in college, who, who can get into school here. And um, at that point, we just have the golfers on the visits and um, it, it's very different than basketball. I mean, we, for every three golfers maybe three or four golfers we seriously recruit we probably get one of them okay Um, in basketball you're looking at every probably 30 25 30 kids you recruit you might get one of them um much more cutthroat recruiting world than in the basketball forum but um but yeah it's a it's our programs um really good i mean we've set a bunch of golf records in the in the past couple of years and um got a good group of guys that are that are competitive but um it's not 
really me teaching them much. I have two assistants, and both of them play for me. They're both volunteer assistants, okay. and they handle all the all the uh, technical stuff. I, I do more of the administrative stuff, but it's uh, it's worked out, man. The uh, speaking of golf, have you had a chance to catch the Tiger Woods documentary on that? I week? did. What, I did. We watched uh, both both parts. Uh, I think we finished it two. We watched the second one. We, we, we watched it on demand. We watched it two days ago, but gotcha. it was great. Really good. I've caught pieces of it. I haven't caught all of it yet. I had had a chance to watch it. I did get um, a clip sent to me, and I'm obviously not going to use the word here on air, but uh, it seemed like when they must have been talking about him with um, playing at the Masters, and one of the reporters talks about how the younger players – watched Tiger growing up as kids as fans and they never got to experience these certain shots that he would shoot, you know, live and the feeling of them. And they were only able to feel it through like YouTube and stuff, right? And then there's some pros who openly said, I want to play in the final pairing with Tiger in a major. And the the reporter goes, the uh, the F you do. And I, I, I thought that was absolutely great. I saw that clip and I busted out laughing because I'm thinking to myself, you really don't know what you're getting yourself into with that dude on a Sunday in a red shirt. I mean, that's just a whole other level of thinking. Yeah, not uh, not the uh, best feeling uh, when you get down to that situation. But mm-hmm. yeah, that was a good part of the, uh, the, the documentary. I have right seen, like I said, I have seen that clip. I want to watch all of it. <laughs> Thoroughly, like you know, I want to watch all three hours at one time, kind of binge or something. Because I'm I'm not a big fan now that you know we're able to watch stuff in binge mode compared to watch it this Sunday, wait a week, watch it next Sunday, that type of thing. So, um, you know, you that's good, man. It's good. You'll like it. Cool. You mentioned your dad. Um, you know, your dad won over 600 games at TJ seven state titles. Um, hopefully, in the next year or so, he's fortunate enough to get his name put on the floor. Down there, he, he earned that, in my opinion. I've always looked up to your dad and learned a lot from him just in listening. What's it like coaching or coaching with your dad? What was that like on the bench? Uh, it was really good. Um, it, was, it, was, it was kind of surprising. Um, I mean, he's by the time I got here, I mean, he had, I think, about 40 years coaching under his belt. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I kind of thought he was – going to be set in his ways and you know i was going to just kind of handle recruiting mostly um i expected to just be running flex until the shot clock ran out every single possession but um he was really really open to kind of uh let me get my hands on the offense and defense and do some stuff and um we were much more aggressive than he had been you know i got him to press a a lot more play a little bit more zone than he had played against certain teams and um so from that point, you know, I, th- I think he knew he was kind of winding his career down and, and, and kind of passing the uh, torch to me. And um, so he was great. I mean, he really let me uh, kind of run it almost if, if, as if I was head coach sometimes. And, um, you know, I think once he was comfortable that I knew what I was talking about, um, then, you know, it was almost like, man, he's doing all the hard work. I can just kind of uh, sit back and just coach in the game. So um, he – uh uh, he was good with that. I mean, we, uh, I kind of wondered how it'd be. I figured we'd butt heads, um, a lot, but it, it really wasn't. It was, it, you know, a couple of disagreements here or there. Um, but you know, it was, it was good to learn, uh, a lot of the, uh, kind of ins and outs, especially at division three basketball and, and kind of the things you got to look for. And, um, you know, a lot of the, the minute details, um, was really good to kind of, learn firsthand, you know, before I kind of took over with that knowledge. Now, am I not mistaken, did your dad leave right from TJ and go to Hood, or did he retire, take a little bit of time off, and then get back into the game? Uh, no, he went straight over. Straight so, across. Gotcha. Kind of a funny story. He Hood really wanted to get him to start the program, and he had no interest in it uh, at all. I mean, he was athletic director at TJ, he was close to, uh, not close, but he he was planning on kind of just, you know, retiring um, at TJ. And so he went to lunch with the president a couple of times and they, he turned them down, I think two or three times. Um, and finally, and they kept kind of increasing their offer with a couple perks here and there. And uh, finally he was just like, you know what, 
new challenge. It's, it's pretty neat to start a college program. And so he, he stepped down from TJ and, and went straight to Hood and hired a couple assistants and started uh, building up the program. So, yeah, it was it was straight from one to the other. Now, didn't Tay work for him, Tay Hill? Yeah, Tay, Tay was uh, his assistant. I, I want to say he was here for, I don't know, six to eight years. He, he was here for a while with uh, – with my dad so he he's had some really strong assistants yeah. um i mean terry conley was one of his assistants uh who ended up being the head coach at uh oakdale and he was previously I, at urbana i did not know that i didn't yeah, know terry so, that's pretty so I cool think, i think terry was there his first three years so he was terry was the big man uh the post player coach so that, that kind of gives you an idea of why my dad had such good post players early on at hood makes sense uh, him and uh, him and Terry were very big on post play. He uh, Terry, a lot of people don't know, but Terry played in one of the probably the big one of the biggest games in Cole Fieldhouse. I mean, didn't they? Didn't he? Well, he went to Richmond, right? And they knocked off Syracuse. Yep, yep. Two yep. fifteen. Uh, they were the first fifteen seed to beat a number two in the NCAA tournament. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, and he played for your dad at TJ, right? Yeah, played for my dad at TJ. Uh, had a really good career. All the Division One thought he was too small. Um, my dad was trying to sell him to some lower division ones and they, they weren't biting. So he ended up going to Shepherd for two years, uh, division two school, as you know, and, uh, it's pretty dominant there. And so, uh, their coach retired and he was, and he really loved that coach. And so he was looking for somewhere else to go. Uh, so my dad made a couple calls and, um, he knew one of the Richmond assistants pretty well. And so, they kind of they, they had a scholarship open up and they, and they end up just taking him taking Terry sight unseen just kind of going off my dad's word and uh, he had a really good career there so I'm sure they uh, they were happy about that. You you know you just made a statement right there that made me think of something your dad's word. Um, I try to explain to people because I've been fortunate enough to be on both sides of the coin. I was a high school coach and a college coach and now back at the high school level. Explaining to people that my word as a high school coach has value, people don't understand how much weight that really carries to a college coach, do they? Um, no. Good or like, bad. Good or bad. Yeah. And, and like I mentioned before when I was talking about recruiting, like I think we take the high school coach's opinion on a kid probably with more uh, weight than any other coaching staff I know. Um, again, if he gives me a lukewarm review of a kid, we're done with him. Like, I want coaches like vouching for this kid, um, saying you know he's one of his favorite players he's had. Um, that's something I've learned over the years with recruiting. Because um, if you get, if you only get the kids that coaches love, it's going to make your high school coaches love. It's going to make your life a lot easier as a as a head coach. Because, mm-hmm. like I said, at the end of the day. The high school coach and the college coach are probably going to have very similar views on how a kid is. So, you know, if you're ignoring what high school coaches are saying, I think you're really doing yourself a disservice. Like some coaches will say, well, you know, I can change him. Or, you know, maybe this coach doesn't know what he's talking about. I mean, you know, there's no better viewpoint than a high school coach, uh, in my opinion, to, to, to get a, uh, an opinion on a kid from. So, you know, I fully respect that, especially coaches that have, that have been, you know, at both levels like yourself or have been coaching a long time. I mean, they know. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, no doubt. I, I, and the crazy thing is when you hear, sometimes you'll have visits and parents will say, well, the, the, his high school coach, he just doesn't have any idea what he's doing. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, do you know what you're doing right now? <laughs> so... <laughs> Right there, you're just like, man, that's a red flag with this kid. Maybe it's not even the kid, but, you know, the parents are going to be in his ear. The second something doesn't go his way, if he comes to Hood, it's going to be like, coach doesn't know what he's talking about, you know. Uh, we should look at transferring her, you know. So it, it's something you just got to understand. It goes, you know, parents are crazy, <laughs> you know. Oh, trust uh, me. I, I, we have stories. I don't know if we have enough airtime, but we definitely can share stories on some of that stuff. No doubt, no doubt. And, you know, the majority of them are great. But there are a handful, especially in the DMV area, that just don't get it, man. And and the it's funny because you know you, you talk about that, and and I know in conversations you and I've had in the past, everybody wants to play at a level that they feel as though they can play at because the guy they're either playing against 
for one game that they do better than, you know, they feel as though well, if he's going to Division One, I, I can go to Division One. What what the parents the and some coaches who are newer in the game that don't understand what you and I do, the idiosyncrasies of it, consistency is what keeps you at the Division One level successfully. You have to be able to do it three hundred and sixty five days, not one night out of thirty that make you a Division One basketball player. Right, right. Yeah. And, and I and I would say, you know, some kids are just going to go to the highest possible level they can play at, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's a walk-on, whether you know, whether it's a very late partial offer, whether it, you know, whatever it may be, uh, and that never works. It very, very rarely works out. Um, you know, if you want to know the best level for you, uh, look at the level of the schools that are reaching out to you most consistently. Mm-hmm. You know, and and if you think you're better than that level. Um, you know, so be it. I mean, everyone's going to have a personal bias, um, but you know, if if you go to a school that's that makes you a priority in recruiting, then they probably have big plans for you, and that's a that's a situation where you could probably be really successful and succeed. If you go to a school where the coach reaches out to you in in May of your senior year uh, for the first time, um, you know, uh, it's it's probably not going to be. Uh, the best fit, and you know, I see it all the time. You, you, you know, we, we've lost kids before that we've recruited for two years hard mm-hmm. that got a Division two, um, maybe a partial offer for like three thousand dollars, or maybe a, uh, a D one walk on or D two walk on or another whatever it may be um, late in their senior year, and they do that. And it's it's so frustrating because you know it's not going to work out, and mm-hmm. almost every time it you know they go there they're unhappy and they end up transferring. So um, so yeah, I think that's a, a key point um, that you brought up is, is just kind of knowing um, where you fit in. You know, picking a spot that's going to be the best fit for your success. Because um, again, ninety percent of kids they're, they're not going to be real happy sitting on the bench for four years. Go somewhere where you know where, where you can play and, and be successful, and hopefully win a championship or two. Absolutely, um, you know, you texted me about a couple of my players in the three years that I've been here at South, and with us playing in the CMC, you kind of get like, hey, there's this coach or this player that you know Chad has as a coach, and you know he's doing this against us or that. You know, the questions that you've asked me have had zero to do with basketball and text. Like, you reach out and be like, what's he like as a kid? What are grades like? And I'm direct with you back. I mean, it's a, it doesn't take me very long to hit you back in that text frame. And you'll know within 30 seconds whether or not that kid's even worth continuing to pursue. And, uh, you know, it, it's – I've been on your side where that you get the, the roundabout answers and it's just so hard because you're wasting time. That's why I like to just be completely direct. Like, look, this kid's grades are just not where they need to be to get into hood. I would not waste your time. Yeah, and, and and that's so helpful. Like I said before, you know, part of the reason such a huge part of my job is is um, spent on recruiting is because of stuff like that. Uh, it's because uh, a coach isn't giving me the the straight up on a kid, or a, uh, you know, I'm at the point now where I ask a kid's GPA, I take off point three, point four right off the bat, um, <laughs> and I'm being completely serious. Like it's we used to do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, you, it's fine. Like I just, if I know a coach personally, you know, I just, I just hit them up real quick. I know most of the guys that I know and I'm cool with are, are going to give me uh, a direct answer. You know, if I don't, if I hear about a kid and I haven't seen him play, then yeah, I'm going to ask you like, you know, what, can he play for us? Is, is he good or not? If I see a kid and I like him, then yeah, I'm just going to be like, all right, I just need to know, is he a good kid? Um, does he work hard? What's his grades like? So getting straight answers is, is, is key, um, for, for someone in, you know, in our, uh, profession. And it's funny you mentioned that I, I had a tweet like two weeks ago that I just kind of just threw out there. Um, and it got, it got a ton of responses just talking about like a kid that I had sexted, uh, a kid that, um, is good, doesn't have any offers, but, um, Text, I texted him, you know, we're very, I saw you on film, like, love your game, blah, blah, and texted me back very straight up, uh, no interest in going to Hood, um, no interest in playing for Hood coach, uh, 
thanks or something like that. And I was just kind of like, man, like, um, not the best tact, uh, <laughs> but at the same time, great. Like now I'm not like, all right, well, um, you know, uh, should we be, should we go try to see this kid? Am I, am I going to waste eight hours now going to watch this kid practice? No. So I'm like, thanks man. Like I sure like it, it, you know, that response is, it is kind of like <laughs> you suck. Um, but if every kid that had, you know, knew that he didn't have interest, just told me that that'd be great. That's much better than a kid ignoring a text. Oh, a hundred percent. Totally. Like, so, you know, I made the tweet almost. It's just like, you no, know, like this is, this is what you should do. Like, you know, be a little more tactful with it, but coaching college coaches will love it. If you're just honest and direct with them, mm-hmm. uh, going to save them so much time. And, you know, I caught some flack because a lot of kids thought, I, or a lot of people thought I was picking on the kid. But, um, you know, it, it's just, like you said, it's just so much more helpful for everyone involved to get direct answers. And and one thing that we do, it's not a fun job. Like, if I get a kid, if I get a film on a kid from a coach or from a kid or from a kid's dad, and he sucks, I'll just, uh, I'm straight up. I'll say, you know, I, not what we're looking for. Or I just don't think... Uh, you can help us or, you know, we just got a lot of other guys that we, we would rank ahead of you. Um, and most of the time, they're, you know, I don't hear back usually or sometimes, thanks coach, appreciate the honesty. Um, you know, but I, I would think as a, as a as a player, you know, you'd want the same thing. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want a coach to lead me on and lead me on and lead me on and then find out in, in March that he wasn't really that interested and I was his 20th option, you know. Right. So I think it works both ways. So I know Trust me, I know a lot of college coaches are not like that, and they're going to BS and BS, and uh, you know that that sucks for kids sometimes. But I just think it's the right thing to do to be honest with these guys, um, and you know it's 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 really helpful just being transparent in, in the long run. And, and you know some people will be will they'll get their uh, feathers ruffled a little bit with with the honesty, but you know you can't you can't say I didn't <laughs> I wasn't honest with you so. <laughs> You know, and, and we may miss on a guy. You know, I may say I don't think he can help us, and he may go somewhere else and score a thousand points. But um, you know, that's just something that we got to do as as head coaches is make those tough decisions sometimes. And that's part of the business. I mean, you're not going to hit right. I mean, a kid might grow. He might, you know, decide to uh, buy in differently. You know, he, he might say, "Oh my goodness, I need to go get on the gun, or I need to get in the weight room." And his body changes, and all of a sudden, he is a thousand point scorer somewhere else. But he had to have a kind of a reckoning before he got to that point. Um, I remember a tweet that you sent out. Oh my God, this was two or three years ago during the NBA Finals. You said that you recruited, I forget the guy's name. You're going to remember this. Like you recruited him to Wheeling Jesuit and he went on like an official visit or something like that. And now he's in the NBA Finals. Do you remember that tweet? Um, yeah, I think it was Norris Cole. That's it. I, I, I knew if you said the name, yes. Well, it's funny because when I was a Jesuit, um, we did a good job recruiting. We recruited Ohio really hard. And Ohio, I think, is one of the most underrated recruiting states in the country. Uh, I think they have really good players and they get really overlooked. Um, there's a ton of like small rural high schools in Ohio that that have good players that, you know, they, they don't play on these huge AAU teams like they do in the DMV. And unfortunately, we're just too far away from Ohio to get any uh, good Ohio players. I mean, and there's some really good Division three schools in Ohio and Division two and whatnot, NAI. Um, but when I was a Jesuit, we, we were all, like, I could probably make a, a book of um, really good players that filled out the questionnaire that we sent them, that we talked to on the phone, that were interested. I mean, C.J. McCollum, uh, Norris Cole. Uh, there's probably at least... Um, three or four NBA players. I mean, shit, Haywood Highsmith, who, who, who played for the 76ers last year a little bit, um, went to Wheeling Jesuit, and we actually had him on two visits at Hood. We almost had him at Hood, and he ended up uh, going to Wheeling Jesuit the year after I left. Uh, I kind of hooked him up with Sancom, and, um, you know, he's playing in the NBA five years later. Um, but another good one is uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, he was a good high school basketball player, and we recruited him um, at Jesuit when we, we started to. He, so he did the questionnaire. We, uh, I texted with him, kind of a jack-off, you could kind of tell. Um, <laughs> and as they, 
one of his coaches was just like, I don't know, coach. He's, he's not all there. He's a little wild and whatnot. So that was kind of as far as we went with it. And, uh, yeah, I think he made a good choice on not coming to judge when playing basketball. So yeah, Cincinnati yeah, can't turned can't out. Blame those guys. They, 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 they found their way. Yeah. Cincinnati turned out pretty good for him. And <laughs> since, since you brought it up, being, you know, football weekend, who you got winning this weekend? Oh man. Um, I mean, I think with Mahomes healthy, I think the Chiefs win it again. Yep. Um, I just think that, and, and they haven't been playing well. I just, you know, I, I think they beat the Browns by 20 if he doesn't get hurt last week. But, um, man, it's, the Bills look good. Um, I mean, they're probably the hottest team in football right now. And they're fun to watch. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm excited to see the Green Bay-Tampa Bay game. I'm a big quarterbacks guy. Yep. Like, I just think quarterbacks are kind of, how you know i think if you have a really good quarterback uh and a decent line uh you're gonna have a good team um mm-hmm. and so the four quarterbacks that are left I mean, those, that's, that's four big time quarterbacks right there so um i'm a big nfl guy. i'm not a big college football guy. i'm a big nfl guy um so i'm gonna say green bay by three and as long as mahomes plays i think they're gonna i think they'll win by seven if chad henny plays the bills win by ten Okay. I'm going to remember that. Heard it here first. Cool. Yeah, I was just going to say, I heard it here first. One last thing, Coach. I know you're a busy guy, and I appreciate your time. You know, let's take a step back from the game of basketball. How was it to be able to spend those two years with your dad in a situation that you not a lot of other sons have the opportunity to do? Uh, it was cool. You know, it was uh, something that I, I really never planned on, um, believe it or not. And when the situation um, came up where I, I had the opportunity, um, you know, I, I was kind of like, you know, there's there's going to be some positive and negatives that, that, that go with this. Um, but, you know, let's give it a shot and whatnot. And it was good. I mean, we had a chance to, um, you know, spend a lot of time together, just kind of learn from each other, I think. Um, and, you know, it was it was obviously kind of a family affair. I mean, my, mm-hmm. uh, my brother lives in Philadelphia, so he's not really uh, uh, around here as much, but my sister still is in Frederick. So she's, if you ever come to a game and you hear the loud white woman in the stands, that's my sister most likely. So <laughs> she's a big fan. Um, and it was just kind of cool to, you know, have the whole family involved with something, you know, they're, my wife now is, she wasn't a big basketball girl and, and now she's all about it. She, she she now refer, refers to them as three pointers instead of um, uh, what does she used to call it three baskets maybe um, <laughs> something stupid like that but um, but it is it, it, it's kind of neat to, to to have us all with that you know common interest and having you know hood basketball being such a big part of our lives and you know even today like my dad's fully retired but you know he comes back and he watches practice a couple times a week he. Uh, like I said, he announces the game, so he'll, he'll go on a bus with us sometimes. So he's a junkie. I mean, he, he can't get enough of it. So it's, yep. uh, but he's very hands off. I mean, it's it, it's it's kind of. I know we had talked about this before um, the podcast, but um, you know, you would think that someone with such success in coaching and um, you know such an illustrious career would be, you know, trying to jam some ideas down my throat. Um, and, and, and he'll make suggestions here and there um, for us, and, and you know, I'll, and I'll, I'll consider them definitely. A lot of them is he hates that we play all zone. Um, he's a big man-to-man guy, and so he's always uh, trying to, to to get me to to change some stuff around. So we actually put in a little matchup zone okay. uh, last year, and, and that helped out. Uh, uh, in a couple games. So, yeah, I mean, it's always good to have kind of a, a soundboard, uh, uh, some of as much success as, as, as he's had. And, um, you know, definitely doesn't hurt. No, I mean, I'm, I'm fortunate. My dad, um, when I took the South job, he was the first call that I made to ask if he'd be my assistant coach. And it, it's something that not a lot of people get an opportunity to experience. I mean, I'm with, before COVID, you know, we are, we start up November 15th. So from November 15th through the end of the season, I'm literally with my dad every day. And a lot of people don't get that opportunity. And do we have arguments? Yeah. Does he tell me to stop bitching at the officials? Yeah. Um, you know, little stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I get to do something with my dad for, you know, 
a couple straight months that not a lot of people get to do. And I'm going to treasure that time more than anything when I finally step back from, you know, as he gets older. And there are going to be, these are going to be the days that I come back to and remember a lot more of the fun times doing stuff like this. So, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And it's it's you know it's a, kind of a flaw of mine. I'm so locked in a lot on just how can we get better this season, blah blah. blah and, you, and you take it for granted. Um, and I'm sure I'll, I'll look back on it one day and just be like, man, I wish I would have just appreciated that a little bit more, you know, in the moment. Um, uh, and, and it's kind of tough just to kind of balance those two when, you know, when you're wired as a college coach, it's just like everything's just like, how do we improve? How do we get better? And it's not, I'm sure as you know, there's not too many hours that go by where you just kind of sit and you're, and you're just present with, you know, uh, all the positives going on, you know, mm-hmm. as coaches, you know, we're, we're usually looking for the negatives so we can, you know, try to get better at those, um, rather than just kind of enjoy the positions that we're in, mm-hmm. um, and appreciate those, the, those times. So, um, you know, the good thing about my dad, like, I don't think he wants to be my assistant. Um, he loves watching the games without having the pressure of having to <laughs> make decisions or perform. Oh, sure. Uh, he still gets stressed out a little bit after. If you ever, if you listen to him on on the uh, live stream, uh, I mean, he's into it more than uh, anyone else. But um, it's just a lot less stressful for him, I think. You know, uh, watching it from afar. But he's still involved. I mean, he goes to like, probably a high school game every week, usually locally. Okay. Uh, and we'll check out some guys for us. You know, yep. I'll say, Dad, can you go to can you go to Frederick High? You know, tomorrow I watch them in Oakdale and let me know what you think of these three guys. And so he'll he'll come back, send me an email of his of his report, and we'll put that in our recruiting system. And um, you know, it's good to have that set of eyes. You know, it's it's uh, it's really helpful. So he's definitely still involved, despite not being on the bench. Um, so it's like I said, it's it's a nice little. Uh, weapon to have in the back pocket oh my gosh i've seen him at a couple of my games he's popped into a couple of our, our games a when we've gone over to mountain and b he's come over here and watched a couple of games it's been nice to have him you know down there in a uh the south uh, field house and have him around that's always a good time um yeah he loves it so i'm gonna ask you one quick question before we get off here how did you get tremaine strickland to go to hood the county's leading scorer that guy was a nightmare to defend I would lay in bed at night like, God, we have to go against Tuscarora and this cat for the next 32 minutes. How am I going to stop this dude from scoring on me? <laughs> I'm sure he'll love to hear that you were laying in bed thinking about him. So, <laughs> um, so Tremaine, we recruited him out of high school. Okay. Um, and uh, he, he's just an awesome kid. Great kid. Yes. Um, very, very modest. I mean, you, you think, you know, a kid that led the county in scoring would – Kind of have like chip on his shoulder. I think he's you know better than he was. Um, Tremaine's just not like that way. So that that was something that really that I liked about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he ended up getting a uh, uh, late in the game. He got a chance. Kind of <laughs> to go back to what we were talking about before. But uh, Alderson Brodus, one of the schools we talked about before, different coach now, um, offered him a spot up there, which is a Division two school out in the middle of nowhere. West Virginia. So, you know, we wished him well. Uh, it sucked for us. Back in my mind, I'm like, he'll be back in a year. You know, I hate to say that, but I, you know, that's the first thing I thought. So, um, you know, I told him, you know, Tremaine, if it doesn't work out there, you know, let me know ASAP you know, and, 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 and we'll see where everything is at at that point. So, um, found out he was transferring, um, I don't know, nine months ago, whatever it was. Um, Got in contact with him, um, and, and the funny thing was, he was actually play, like he, he was a walk on for them, but he was playing. He started a couple games as a freshman out there, um, so he came back. He just didn't like the area, which you know, if you've ever been to Alderson Broad, there's no offense to them, <laughs> nothing there. It's, there's not a lot going on. No. So, so he came back over. He visited again with his parents. I kind of talked to him about our plans for everything, and you know, our our style of play, and you know. You know how we were this past season, and um, and we really needed a guard. I mean, we had the Wang twins um, coming back, but you know, other than that, we really didn't have too many guys that are really effective off the dribble. Um, so I was like, man, he'd be great to have, kind of coming off the bench. And I and 
this is the great thing about Tremaine. I, I straight up told him, I was like, you're not going to start over the wags. Um, so, you know, if you do come here, I want you to, I, I see you playing, but, you know, this upcoming year, the Wangs are going to start and, and you'll come off the bench most likely. And then the following year, that's when I think you can really take control. So, you know, from, from a guy, and, and if you want to consider like this dropping a level uh, from Division Two, II, Division Three, um, you know, you think that he would be like, oh, I play Division Two. I, you know, I should be, if I go to Division Three, I should be dominating, uh, which is not the case at all for any. In Anybody. Division three program, but right. um, he didn't have the mentality. He had the mentality where, no doubt, coach, I, I, I want to work for anything that that I get. Um, you know, so so once I kind of saw that that was his mentality, he was still you know a great kid. I think it was kind of a um, kind of a I don't want to say wake up call for him, but but I think he saw a much better opportunity here after you know probably making the wrong decision out of high school. Mm-hmm. And I think he was much more appreciative of it. And so, you know, when, when, when he said he was going to come, I, I was I was really happy about it because, again, we needed that position and, you know, to, to kind of put him in there. And our biggest problem last year was I ran the Wangs ragged. We played him too many minutes, and they just got tired. And so uh, having him available now to kind of uh, give them a lot more rest is, is really going to help us. Uh, I guess you know next season, but uh, yeah, we're excited about him. He's been he's been over here uh, a few times a week, getting shots up during winter break, and uh, nice. hard worker. But yeah, we're we're excited about his his future here. Yeah, he was a great kid. He always shook your your hands, looked you in the eye, told you a good game. I mean, I, I really respected his game and him as a person a lot. So you got a great kid there. Yeah, we're excited, Coach. I appreciate your time. I, uh, I know you're a busy guy, and I know you're trying to fight through some stuff there on campus, and I know you, the kids are still on winter break and don't come back until February. So uh, I want to wish you guys a good good second semester, and uh, hopefully we can catch up here soon in person once this COVID stuff dies down. Definitely, man. Appreciate you having me, Chad. Hey, not a problem, Coach. I'll talk to you soon. All right, buddy. I want to thank Coach for being on the show. I always look forward to catching up with him when we were on the road. We'd always be able to have some good conversations and catch up and see how everybody was doing. Looking forward to tomorrow's show as well. It's Friday. Hoping to get my brother on to keep the uh, the streak alive as we go into playoff weekend for the Packers. Also going to talk to a couple other friends on the phone with regards to the NFL weekend. So until then, thank you for listening to Never My Wildest Dream podcast, and we will talk to you soon.